Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but brokers. No, I'm not going to start singing, but it is true that advisers have seen a lot over the past few years that has shaken and stirred the mortgage markets. Everything ranging from COVID to the war in Ukraine, from the cost of living crisis to terrible Trussian tax U-turns has sent anxious clients scrambling to brokers for help. This FT Advisor In Focus podcast with me, Simni Kuriaku, Senior Editor of FT Advisor, aims to explore some of these strange ups and downs that we have all been experiencing recently. In September, the stamp duty reprieve implemented in the disastrous mini-budget sought to improve the prospects for consumers, but the tax-cutting U-turning policy decisions sent such shockwaves through the markets we ended up seeing rate rise after rate rise from mortgage lenders. But by the end of October, with a sterner Prime Minister in place, we saw a softening in some mortgage rates and more lenders announcing they were repricing products downwards. So good news? Well, not quite. In September, we saw issues in the buy-to-let market, with some brokers claiming it was becoming harder for their landlord clients to secure a mortgage or to remortgage at an affordable rate. And yet by November the 1st, Lettingaproperty.com, the online letting platform, claimed B2L landlords were having to put viewings on hold due to unprecedented demand. So, good news? Again, not quite. With a 0.9 percentage point decrease in house prices month on month, according to the latest NPI, it might have seemed house prices are becoming more affordable. But yet, with rate rises still on the table at the Bank of England and the cost of living crisis still hurting consumers, affordability is still very much going to be an issue. So how can consumers make sense of these events? Is it good news or is it bad? Is it the veritable cure its egg? Well, here to talk with us on the podcast are Jane King, Independent Mortgage Advisor at Ashridge, Lewis Shaw, Independent Mortgage Advisor at Riverside Mortgages, and Robert Sinclair, Chief Executive of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries. Welcome all. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. So, is it good news or bad news? Rob, is the panic that we saw in September and October over for the mortgage market? I think the panic is over and there's a settling down now into what I think feels a bit like a new normal. Things I think will become even clearer as we traverse through this week and get a base rate number out of the Bank of England, which hopefully will be a no more than a 0.75 increase to 3%. We are seeing gilt yields drifting slowly downwards, and that also allows um, Sonia swap rates to drift downwards a little bit as well. And therefore, the opportunity for lenders to come back with slightly lower prices is, is getting better. And we're seeing more people coming back out with fixed rates rather than just being trackers, the only game in town. So I think it's getting better. Will we get back to where we were in terms of the sub two rates that we had at the start of this year? I sincerely doubt it. It'll be a very long time till we see that ever again. So this new normal is going to be a higher number, but I'll leave my more experienced colleagues in terms of the day-to-day operations of affordability and how it feels for the customer to, I think, answer that in a bit more broadly than go further down the line on that. Indeed. Well, Jane, I'm going to come to you because you, you've you been tweeting quite a lot of positive news over the past few days, which is really lovely to see. So do you feel positive? Um, I think I feel slightly more positive than I did when the lenders all withdrew their fixed rates. I think, the, as Robert said, the panic has gone to, to an extent, but I think people are still very uncertain. I don't think they know what to do. They're in two minds, should we do this, should we do that? I think if you're looking to purchase, if you're first-time buyers, I've definitely seen my first-time buyer clients are sitting back now, probably going to wait until next year. 
as Robert said, wait till we get an interest rate decision from the Bank of England. And then I think they'll decide what they'll do probably now after Christmas, because the can we be in by Christmas now mm. pretty much gone that we used to get every year. And I think everyone's going to be waiting now till, till next year. Indeed. Lewis, what about you? It's a mixed bag, but then equally, I'm not in a major city. So when you're kind of into the into the smaller towns, there does seem to be a bit of bit of a discrepancy as, to, as to, opposed to cities, specifically where highest prices have gone so out of shape over the last you know decade or so. But I'd broadly agree with Jane and Robert that first-time buyers are keeping the powder dry, understandably. But also, there's a lot of people I think suffering suffering to they're unable to cut through the white noise that's out there there's an awful lot of information and misinformation there's people that are talking about huge price drops in, in housing these, these people that are predicting you know nine percent mortgage rates and all sorts of things so that's not particularly well it's very unhelpful to be fair so i think in the main as long as most people can keep a level head hopefully we can say all this kind of period of, of uncertainty without fingers crossed too much disruption to most people but it's all to do with keeping kind of an even keel politically uh, more than anything at the moment yeah absolutely and that's that's the one thing that we just don't know what's going to happen will the good ship uh, good ship sunak carry us into the uh, finally up the channel into the sunlit uplands we've been long promised or uh, Will it sink like the disastrous Trustanic? But uh, that's a, that's enough puns for now. Let's uh, <laughs> that's enough terrible puns. So let's let's look at these these silver linings. Um, there are some glimmers of hope, aren't they? So what should they be highlighting to clients, Jane? Well, I think that uh, people should start now considering, even on a temporary basis, flipping over to a variable rate. They're much much more cheaper than fixed rates they don't have to be you do not have to be tied into repayment charges so you can sit on it without any worries about charges and sit and wait until fixed rates start to come down again if they do of course the downside is that if they continue to rise then if you do hop onto one um, then it may be more expensive but at the moment they are much much cheaper than fixed rates and so I think although they come with an element of risk clients really really think about whether it's worth doing that just for a short period of time so that that there is an opportunity to hop onto a cheaper rate if if you if you're prepared to um, accept an element of volatility mm. Rob I can see you nodding there obviously for the purposes of the podcast no one else can but uh, <laughs> let's bring you in at this point yeah I think it's it's right I mean if you can get a lender where you know their admins good in terms of when you might have to push somebody off that that variable rate quite quickly, I think, is, is a good option for people. And those tracker rates are are, are are certainly a lot cheaper than some of the fixed rates around at the moment. I think the, the challenge here is for a broker and the customer to have a really good discussion about what needs to happen now as opposed to what people want to happen now. And it's, it's where customers need to do something now that the decisions are much more complicated. But where you can delay or defer, it's definitely the right thing to do because I do see a situation where, you know, in, in, the, in the depth of trustonomics, we were looking at 6% base rate um, and in inflation good that most commentators don't see it topping at five anymore. In fact, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a school of thought evolving where base rate might only top at four. And therefore, that gives us a very different backdrop to where we were three or four weeks ago. And if it did top at four, then 
you, you look at a longer term rate curve that would see Sonia swap rates coming in below that quite quickly. And therefore, you're back into producing rates, fixed rates that are way below where they are now. And also, then they're well within what people were being stressed at by their lender when they first took their mortgage. And therefore, the affordability issue or the amount they can borrow becomes less of an issue than it has been in the last few weeks, where the kind of rates that we were looking at meant stressing at, at rates which were in that 8 9% perhaps looked difficult for many people. And that's particularly the case when we look at some of the stress rates in the buy-to-let market. Mm, absolutely. So there are some positive changes coming through. Um, Lewis, I'm going to go to you. Also a positive change, you, you've just in the middle of, of all this um, craziness set, set up a new company. Yes, yes. We've started a new, uh, it's a new trading style rather than a new company. It's the same business but just under a, a new a new banner a new ba- new brand so to speak but yes so there are there are positives and i broadly agree that you know variable rates are noticeably cheaper than fixes and to a certain extent we're back to where mortgage advising should have been because for the last 10 years it's mainly been about what's the cheapest fix and have that that's realistically what most brokers have been doing for the last 10 years uh, whereas now we're actually back to a point position where you know, there's a risk with every product. There's a risk with fixed rates. There's a risk, there's a risk with variable rates, and it's then balancing which risk you want. If you have a fixed, you know, you could be paying more than you need to. If you have a variable, you could end up paying more than you could have done. So I think it's it's um, there might be an issue. I say this with the greatest respect. There could be a CPD issue for some advisors that haven't been in an environment where volatility is rife and where it's no longer a clear cut let's source for a five-year fix and away you go so that should perhaps get some attention but again on, on the variable rate side yes they are much cheaper however i'm firmly of the you know of the belief and i'm sure jane is as well that trackers have the place for certain people but of course if people have a certain disposition where their nerves are such that they can't sleep at night Mm. with that volatility, Mm. then still a fixed rate is appropriate. So it's not just the maths. It's, it's about more than the maths. For me, it's more about emotion. Mm. Can you sleep at night? And if you can, that's great. Well, that's then the deal. Yeah. That's the deal for you. Well, I think as well that as advisors with these tracker rates and these variables, we keep an eye on them. We're looking at them every day. So if we do, if we do see that a client is prepared to accept an element of risk, we can at least say, look, you know, fixed rates are coming down, tracker rates are on the up, do you want another meeting? Shall we chat it through on the phone and revisit it? So they don't have to feel that they choose the rate and then they're just thrown out onto the, you know, onto and said, right, get on with it. We are always there for our clients if they want to call just for a catch up just to see what's going on because we check rates every day. Yeah. But it's not just rates, is it? Is it, Rob, that we need to sort of look at? There are other sort of dark clouds on the horizon. And, you know, how many housing ministers are we on? <laughs> you know, <laughs> 20 in the last 20 years, I think. Oh, golly. So 20 for 20. I mean, yeah, not out. So, so, Rob, could you just talk through some of the potential dark clouds that are on the horizon, things that perhaps mortgage brokers and their clients should be looking out for? I mean, clearly there is... There is still the, I, I do believe we've not actually reached the cost of living crisis yet because the actual escalation in costs for people by way of rising bills going into a winter, which up to now, fortunately, has been relatively benign, uh, means that we will only begin to see that eat into people's costs significantly as we go through the rest of this quarter into quarter one next year, depending on what happens around price caps and then we get into next year. 
the cost of living also because not just power and it's food costs um, and other costs which um, are going to cause people to have to think about what happens there now the elements that flow through from this are much more around the risks around unemployment for me and mm. the, the, what happens to property prices will not so much be determined i think by where interest rates end up now but by what happens on the high street as people have less money to spend and the knock-on effect potentially of people losing their jobs yeah. now all the models say that you only see significant house price falls when unemployment gets above five and a half percent we're currently at 4.2 so there's a long way to go before we're in a world where unemployment begins to hit in to significantly impact house prices although we have seen effectively in some parts of the country 20 percent increase in prices over the last two years so there's a bit of froth in the market that might come back out that's relatively short term i suppose the longer hard term impact on house prices that would be felt at parts in, in more rural parts of the country mm. so I think, I think we have to look at this through a, a more complex lens than the simple one that we've been able to deal with over the last decade, where we haven't seen increasing rates, we haven't seen higher levels of unemployment, we haven't seen cost of living going up in the same way. The challenge here, of course, is that this places, as we said, a big responsibility on advisors, many of whom may not have been in an environment where this happened before. Therefore, listening to the, the older grey hairs around in the industry might be quite important. Um, going through learning and education will be really important around this and thinking flexibly about the solutions that are around will, will be really important because consumers, customers will need arms around their shoulders in terms of this and encouraged to talk to their broker and talk to their lender if they're getting into trouble. Mm. And you mentioned a really interesting point there, Rob, which um, has made me think definitely about going to Lewis because sometimes what happens economically in London and the big cities is very different from what happens in the regions in terms of employment and affordability. So, Lewis, can I come to you? Do you have any clients who are perhaps even more worried about things like unemployment or affordability issues? Broadly speaking, no. I think the areas, so the, the areas where my two businesses are, one is Mansfield, yeah. and the new business is in Teesside across the entirety of the Tees, mm. Tees Valley. Um so in both areas, you've got a lot of manufacturing, but manufacturing that's exported globally. You've got a lot of logistics, moving food around. People are still going to need to eat. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a lot of kind of skilled manual jobs that are still going to need to be need, need to take place. And so actually, I think, <laughs> thankfully, in this scenario, even though it's going to be it's going to get difficult for, for a number of people, I think the areas that I'm in are going to be relatively well protected because they're industries and, and, and job roles that aren't easily replaced. And also, you know, we, people are still going to need bread yep, and, yep. and coffins without sounding. You know, <laughs> but, but it's Sometimes true. both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so broadly speaking, I think we're going to be relatively well protected. I mean, in Teesside particularly, a lot of people work offshore on, on the rigs. And of course, at a time of, of heightened energy scarcity and mm. kind of concerns about that presumably we're going to strengthen put the climate question to one side you know the likelihood is that the current in, uh, government are probably going to strengthen that area of of, um, of business and so they're, they're, those jobs are probably going to be all protected because we need to have energy dependence independency in one form or another mm. and mm. you know so so i think Broadly speaking, we'll probably be well well protected. Not not least, I was talking to a surveyor actually yesterday in the area, and there's parts of Teesside that are only still recovering, only just recovering from the 2007-89 price crash. So actually, whilst prices in in some major cities and, and kind of urban areas have really gotten out of shape the last few years, again Mansfield, Teesside, 
broadly speaking, a similar kind of demographic, that hasn't happened. You don't see, I don't see customers coming in and going, I need to, you know, there's two of us and we need to stretch to five times income kind of, I don't see that. So in that respect, hopefully those areas can ride this out. Because to be fair, for, for the last 30 years, they've had a bit of a kicking. So it's probably time they get there, you know, they got it a bit easier. And hopefully more house building as well in, in uh, well, across Britain, um, yeah. in more rural and in more urban areas would significantly go towards helping the, the housing crisis. Yeah. But um, I know, Jane, how many new builds do you do you sort of get mortgages for your clients for? I mean, would you say that that's a significant proportion? No, it's not a significant proportion. I do a lot of affordable homes, so I do a lot of shared ownership. And, and, and until yesterday, a fair bit of helped buy, mm-hmm. um, which are predominantly new builds, although there's quite a big secondhand market in shared ownership. People always, it's very Marmite. Some people love the idea of a new house. And some people don't like the idea of a new house because they feel the build quality is not particularly great or there's always a premium on a new build. So you've got to look at maybe making a bit of a loss on the purchase price in the first sort of couple of years. I remember in the credit crunch, we had surveyors valuing new builds as second hand, which really, really skewed everything because then everybody was 5% out. So, Mm. you know, some people love new builds, some people don't. I do probably maybe between 10 and 15 percent of new builds but because we've had the issue post-covid of new build developments being pushed back because of supply problems yeah and so we've had mortgage offers expiring and so you know we've had people that have exchanged and then suddenly their developments pushed back by six to eight months and then we've got mortgage offers expiring so then we have to try and get extensions so a lot of people have been put off of new builds for that reason because it is still pretty precarious Mm -hmm some of the um, handover dates so a bit marmite some people love them some people can't stand them yeah I know that Amy has been really pushing the government to improve its house building schedule for many many years now even before the Barker report uh, came out people were pushing for uh, more house building Rob, it was good to see Michael, it was good to see Michael Gove come back out this week and say 300,000 pounds is a target he's prepared to support hmm but uh, but <laughs> being prepared to support something is not necessarily the same as giving support. I mean, do, do you think we're going to... Uh, do you think the indications are there that we're actually going to hit those targets that we need? Well, we never have for the last mm. 20 years. So I think it's an interesting aspiration for the government, having run away from it under under the latter part of, of Johnson slash Truss, to see Gove come back and be positive about it under a Sunak government was an interesting public statement, I think, and we can only go by the statements they make as opposed to the things they're silent on. And I think, you know, to, to be positive, at least go back uh, in, in D-Luck means that at least there's a chance that, Claude, that cladding will get dealt with. And that I do believe that there will be levelling up across the country because it's something he fundamentally supports. So I, I think we will see broader levels of new build working their way through. I think, as James already said, the interesting challenge will be under what tenure without help to buy. And that, this is why I think the time for shared ownership is now. And I've been involved in a couple of very high-level meetings in the last few weeks where we're looking very much at how we help the consumer understand the benefits of shared ownership. Because I think it has a sometimes has a, a negative connotation, which is not necessarily the right place for it to be in. Therefore, it has to be something that needs some work in order to give it the place in the structure that it deserves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have a friend who works in leasehold management shared ownership, and she said that some of these new model leases that are coming out now 
and I've had some experience of it. You know, these shared ownership buyers now are getting 999 year leases. They're getting the automatic right to buy, you know, 1% a year if they want to. Some of them are now being offered, you know, a cash sum every year to pay for internal repairs. So these leases are now being very, very geared towards buyers and not so much towards the housing associations that are effectively the landlord straight sellers. So I think shared ownership is looking to improve itself, um, which I think can only be a good thing because where I am, shared ownership is the only option for so many people. Mm. Um, and it gets them out of substandard, expensive. And I've been to some rubbishy places to visit people um, who want to buy shared ownership, you know, and their mortgage rent and rent are less than the rent that they're paying on, you know, some shambolic bedsit in sort of southwest London somewhere. So, you know, it is a good product as long as the buyer understands it. And I think more should be done to promote it as, as a positive rather than a negative. Indeed. Well, I won't, I won't take offence at uh, the dig at Southwest London there, but I recognise it. I recognise it. <laughs> Lewis probably doesn't come across so much because maybe a property is more affordable in your area than it is in mine. Um, so I don't know what your experience of it is where you are. In terms of shared ownership, there's not a huge amount of shared ownership in either of the places where I've got brokerages, um, purely because. You know, they, I mean, I did a shared shared ownership mortgage a few weeks back, but they, it's not the mainstream by any stretch because people can have a job in a warehouse, Amazon and other warehouses are available, <laughs> and earn £25,000, £28,000 a year, and that will be sufficient to get them on the property ladder at a, uh, albeit they, 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 as a single person they'd be pushing themselves, but they can get something. Mm. You know? Yeah, um, so, that's, a big, that's the difference. It is, yeah, it, it is, it is. Um, in terms of house building, just want to kind of pick up on that. I do think, you know, it's great that, you know, if, if we can get um, kind of some kind of planning reform to allow developers a little bit more flexibility, it's always a double-edged sword, that, but to try and get some houses built. But we do need as well to put pressure on, someone needs to put pressure on the government to, to develop much more social housing, to try and take the sting out of some of the private rental rental sector. Yeah. Because if, if we're just storing up a, a bigger and bigger problem because we, we are going to face a generation of people that can't get um, a property if we're not careful. We we really are, a, a, you know, I'm not a macroeconomist, but I do think we're a bit of a tipping point. Unless something's done relatively quickly, we, we're going to suffer. You know, we're saving up a problem for kind of 20, 30, 40 years down the line that's not going to be easily fixed. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the government, oh, local authorities used to be the biggest builder of houses I think until about the late 70s and then suddenly they're they're the least they're the lowest uh, in, in terms of actual productivity so I don't know uh, Rob if, if the government's going to give more money to local authorities is 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 that something that we perhaps might see the return of the local authority affordable sort of council housing social housing I think I'm an interesting political decision as to where they drop these development zones and how they decide to fund the housing that they say they're going to escalate through there. Whether the local authorities become that or there's some, um, I would call local development companies, which are joint venture partnerships created, I think is more likely looking at the political tent tone of this government. But yes, I think there will be work done in order to try to promote this, but I think it'll be much more the government trying to promote private enterprise to deliver this rather than be local authority driven. Um, in that you know it was the Thatcher right to buy that killed 
the ability of local authorities to build their own properties because mm. there was no one for one replacement allowance in all of that and that's where it all went wrong mm. we have that one for one replacement allowance or, or requirement now on local authorities on right to buy but it's never been it's never been monitored or managed properly by anybody in government so it's a bit of an interesting one where they say one thing but never police it or deliver against it mm-hmm. um so I, you know, all of this is about complexity around the fact that we still allow Local authorities make their own planning decisions without any real central control over what are the types of things we want as a society to deliver in the housing market. And until we solve that political conundrum, then I think we're, we're going to continue to lurch from um, initiative to initiative that doesn't solve the underlying problem. So, Rob, if we had, I'm aware that sort of our podcast is having to come to an end, but if we have, if you had one message for government and one message for brokers, what would those messages be? My message for government would be, could you depoliticise the housing and pensions minister's jobs and make them tenure permanent employments for people not in the world of politics? Hmm. And that would be my request of government for both pensions and housing. And for brokers, my request would be, please just remember that your customers are going to need your help more than ever over the next 12 months. Lenders will make continue to make really bad decisions sometimes, but it's not usually the people you get you have to speak to on a day-to-day basis. So be kind, I think, is the word I would hmm. use be empathetic and listen and try to be helpful despite the fact that sometimes it won't make you any money (laughs) wonderful thank you jane (laughs) could i ask your message one for lenders and one for your clients okay one for lenders could you please up your administration please it's a complete shambles we're fed up with spending hours on the phone so could you just stop it and get your stuff back to the office please um and then one to buyers clients i would say you I would agree with Rob. You need advice now more than ever. Take advantage of your advisor. Don't be scared to ring them up three months before you plan to do anything. We're here to help. That's what our job is. Um, So please don't worry about contacting us as much as you like. Fantastic. Here to help. Uh, Lewis, one message for your customers or customers generally and one message for your fellow brokers. For fellow brokers, go back to basics. Go back to basics and have better conversations with customers it's been too easy for the last 10 years give us your pay slips let's have a bit of id what's your deposit here's a five-year fix here's a two-year fix that's been broadly speaking you know rinse and repeat so go back to having meaningful conversations go back to genuinely you know properly establishing a budget that that's how you know as i say just the basics that everyone should be doing but bad habits creep in that's the same for all of us i'm not saying that i'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not without sin here. So that's the first thing for, for brokers. For customers, I would say try not to listen to the kind of white noise that's surrounding this. Talk to a good quality local a, a broker that knows the market, that knows the area um, and understands what's going off. And secondly, there's a lot of people kind of say, well, you know, should I wait? Should I hold off? Realistically, it's that old adage, you know, it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. Mm. It's better to be a homeowner than not. It's not a short-term thing, it's a long-term thing. So will rates come down? Will they go up? Well, they might. But this idea of sitting back and I'll sit and wait, there's no guarantee that things are going to get remarkably better. I mean, you know, we didn't, no one predicted Ukraine, no one predicted mm. COVID, no one, predict, no one predicted Liz Truss, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so this idea of kind of let's sit and wait, Actually, this is a 25, 40 year thing that you're taking out. You know, you're buying a home. It's for it's a long term, it's a long term thing. Don't be put off by 
marginal fluctuations that can go for or against you. I would just say get on with it and get buying. Excellent. Well, fantastic. Isn't Rob, Lewis and Jane, thank you all so much for talking to us at FT Advisor. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. For more news and views, visit ftadvisor.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>